This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi there and welcome to episode 42 of Total Saints Podcast, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. TSP is a dedicated weekly podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints. My name is Ben Stanfield, I've supported and followed Saints for over 30 years now through the ups and downs. I have two partners in crime on the podcast this season, one is Adam Leach, Chief Sports Writer at the Daily Echo, lover of clackers and uh, media hospitality food and drink I think is probably a fair way to sum it up. Adam, a long trip up and back from Everton yesterday. Yeah, long day, long drive. Um, yeah, the food, we had lamb. It was really nice, Ooh, actually. Nice. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And as was utterly predictable, nothing at all from Everton. I think that's now, was it 14 visits without a win to Goodison mm. Park? It's, no. uh, yeah, it was, it was nothing if not predictable. Well, at least it made our three predictions look good, didn't it? Because uh, Steve Grant, who's the owner of saintsweb.co.uk and the third member of this panellist, went with myself and Adam with a home win there as well, Steve. So uh, as we predicted, unfortunately... Yeah, I don't think um, anybody who's kind of seen us either in pre-season or against Burnley will have been particularly surprised by uh, how things transpired against Everton. Um, also, having seen Everton in their first game of the season, they were quicker to the punch than us for a lot of the game, I think. But, I mean, there were there were some positives. I mean, it, looked like, it did look like we created a, created a lot more chances and clear chances that on another day maybe we end up in the back of the net rather than hitting the bar, for example. Indeed, so absolutely. Well, this week's podcast, we'll talk about the uh, the Everton game in a bit more detail. We'll um, look at uh, the return of uh, Claude Puel and his Leicester team to St Mary's next week. Sandwiched in the middle of that, we'll reflect on this week's fan forum at St Mary's and get Stephen Adams' views on that. And we're also briefly going to discuss the BBC story from last Tuesday on clubs, including Saints, who could have made profits in 2016-17 without any fans at game. So lots to talk about for you. 
This is Total Saints Podcast, episode 42, sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. HappyHotTubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs, we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit HappyHotTubs.co.uk HappyHotTubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. Saints first Saturday 3 o'clock, an away Premier League fixture ended in a 2-1 defeat at Everton. It was a little bit like a game of two halves, I guess, with Saints 2-0 down at half-time, but fighting back somewhat in the second half, ultimately unable to uh, get an equaliser. Danny Ings marked his full debut with hopefully the first of many goals in a Saints shirt. Adam, before we move on, it didn't escape my attention that you uh, did predict the right score for that game. So first things first, congratulations. Thank you very much. Yes, it's going to be the first of many this season. It, I don't do New Year's resolutions. I'm doing new season resolutions, and it is to dominate this prediction <laughs> league like Man City uh, are going to dominate the Premier League. Yeah, well, let's hope so. As long as anyone but Liverpool. But uh, look, just just briefly, I've been working very hard on a scoring system this week, so I've sorted it out now. Okay, so basically, if Steve, you or I predict the right result and the right score, we get three points. If we predict the right result but not the right score, like I did last week. So I said it would be a draw, but it was nil-nil, and I said one-one. Then you get one point, and if you get neither, you get nil-point. So you're, uh, you'll get three points for this week, and Steve and I will both get one point because we did predict that Saints would lose. So does that make sense, chaps? Seems reasonable. Exactly. Yeah, it seems perfectly and, fair and, to and me. Until such time as I'm miles behind, in which case I'd, <laughs> I'll ask for it to be arbitrarily changed. Yeah, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But I am, I am, you know, I'm going to keep this level for everyone. I am keeping a spreadsheet, okay? So there will be no cheating, and I will keep a, a fair score because I know you're uh, keen to make sure that it's done properly, Adam. All right. Well, we might need an independent adjudicator. Well, we, we will if I'm losing. <laughs> right. Anyway, back to the game, Adam. What did you make of it? I think your summary was, was pretty fair, really. I mean, it was uh, a bit like the Burnley game, really. The first half was where it, it kind of went wrong. And the second half, you came away feeling much more encouraged, which was obviously exactly what we saw in, in the first game as well. Um my summary before the season was, I think, is is proving true at the moment in that I think the problems that they had last year, really, I'm not sure they've been adequately addressed in the transfer window um, because there are still obviously some significant defensive issues mm. and there is still a problem scoring goals. Now, I was a lot more heartened by the at least Saints have started to create some chances um, and they look uh, more aggressive. They look more... Uh, forward thinking and positive under Hughes and I, I like that I like that side of them and I think that does bode well um, but ultimately obviously the, the difference is going to be at that level um, a little bit of quality all, in all positions all over the pitch and there's still a lot to work out on Thursday pre-match Hughes said um, I asked him about the formations and things like that and he said he wasn't going to be rigid with the way that he uh, set the team out or the players that he picked for the season and that it wouldn't be fair to just say that's because he doesn't know his best team because he's actually kind of doing this on purpose, which is fair enough. But I think maybe, you know, they I think that they could do with a, perhaps a bit more of a settled formation. Now, I know that they lost Vestergaard late to illness and maybe they would have gone with the back three yep. uh, with him in it had he been available. So that, that might have changed things. But obviously we've seen in the first two games, I mean, uh, what? five, six formations throughout mm. the games. Now, there's nothing wrong with being adaptable. That's great to be adaptable. But I, th- I just think maybe they need to try and you know settle it down 
a little bit because he, even at the end there, I love Chew's positivity and chucking all the strikers on, but going kind of four-two-four didn't really work either in terms of actually attacking because kind of Saints lost a bit of bit of ground. Um, so yeah, I think there were. I definitely took away quite a few positives from the game. The, the, the number of chances they created. I liked the fact they were a bit more aggressive because I think we in the past we've kind of at times said they're a little bit too nice. I mean, they were yep. in the first half, they were picking up bookings for fun. And, and <laughs> you know, they were I know the Pickford uh, red card debate uh, ran on, but they were very lucky to keep Mario Lamina on the pitch as well, to be honest, because he, he probably should have got a second booking. So uh, but I like that aggressiveness. Um, I like the positivity. So uh, I think that there were some positives. But as as Steve said, Quite rightly, I think there's quite a lot of pressure on the Leicester game now. Mm, yeah, and uh, Adam mentioned there, Steve, about Vestergaard missing, which was obviously a, a big loss for Saints. We did have Maya Yoshida on the bench, who, um, you know, hopefully should be back to sort of sharpness uh, almost. So, I mean, he could have stuck with three at the back. I, I was certainly a little nervous when I saw Hoyt and Stevens at uh, centre-back in a, in a sort of 4-4-2, but um, certainly a, a tough first half for Saints, and particularly Hoyt looked to struggle quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not quite sure what um, what's being said to the players in the pre-match uh, team talk because every, well, pretty much even even through pre-season, we've had poor first halves and, um, well, poor starts to games at least, even if we've sort of addressed it sort of 25 minutes into the game. And second halves, we've generally come on a little bit stronger and, and looked a little bit more at it. And you don't get the opportunity to give away a two-goal head start to, to teams, yeah. particularly when you've got, um, goal scoring issues in the way that we have and particularly when you've got defensive issues in the way that we have um, yeah I, I, I would agree that seeing the team line up with Hoyt and Stevens as the two absolutely terrified me mm, and yeah. I mean, we're not offering the defence enough protection as it is and again I come back to what I think I said last week and I don't think Oriol Romeo offers anywhere near enough protection yeah. um, to the players behind him but the problem is, who else do we have that could go in that situation? Yep. And that, I guess that kind of comes back to what Adam was saying, in that while individually the players that we've signed all fit the bill, um, there are still some key deficiencies that we've not not really looked at. Yeah, and to be fair, I mean, you mentioned that before the transfer window shut about, we, I remember us having a discussion about the likes of Drinkwater and Harrison Reed and people like that. So, uh, absolutely. I mean, I know the score is what matters on a, on another day. Like Saints did have more shots than Everton, 15 shots. They had more corners, Adam. But I was thinking about this today. I mean, the amount of soft goals Saints lit in over the years, and, you know, you can say it was a well-worked uh, free kick by Everton, the first goal, but, I mean, Saints were pretty much asleep and I, I you know I know we've discussed it before I, as I say was thinking about this today I mean you look at Mark Hughes's coaching staff you've got three goalkeepers sat on there Dave Watson Calvin Davis and uh, Eddie Nedswicky and you've also got a fullback in Mark Bowen so there's four uh, essentially defensive players throughout their career and yet we still look such a shambles at the back yes I, I mean it, it's not great but I mean it, it's very difficult I, I come back to the point that I, I've made again and again which is you know as a manager you're only going to be as good as the players you've got to work with. It's very unusual for managers to be able to take some players and just turn them into world beaters. This isn't something that normally happens. That's why it's such a great story and a great tale uh, on the odd occasion that it does. And and again, what, what we saw, we've seen a defence that's conceded quite a few goals over the last you know year or so. 
And that defence is exactly the defence that started again at the weekend. So what do you expect? Mm. It's not going to, you know, what, 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 it's got no history of, of being a fantastic defence. So why is it suddenly going to be now? That's the difficulty, really. And that's why I think the issue of, of the summer and whether they did enough and whether actually what they needed to do was rather than just, you know, picking off one or two here and there and, and selling Tadic, which obviously is still a bugbear of mine, but mm. and then signing a few odd, players here and there was actually to to try and do something a bit more dramatic because otherwise if you do the same putting the same people out how do you expect different results and like i've said before my my big fear is that we at southampton football club are now getting so fixated on this just or just on the manager non-stop yeah it's it's puel's fault oh no so then pellegrino came in oh no it's pellegrino's fault well, were they both wrong? Mm. Now, if this goes wrong, what is it going to be Hughes's fault, mm. or are we now going to blame somebody else? Ultimately, he's managing the same defence. And just to come back to a point that that Steve raised about Romelu, it's it's a point that you may remember that I raised several times last year. And I think part of the problem is that for whatever reason, Romelu and Lamina just aren't a pair mm. for me. They're just not a pair. Now, I I completely agree that if I was picking my two. For that central center area, you know, just on paper in isolation, absolutely they would be my first two without doubt because they've got what you want. But as a pairing, I mean, you can probably count on one hand the number of good games that they've actually played as a pair. Yep. Um, and I, I don't know why that doesn't work. I, sometimes there is no rhyme nor reason, and I'm sure that's something that that Hughes and, and his coaching staff are going to be trying to harness the two of them to, in tandem. But for whatever reason, they just don't work together. And if that if that's going to continue to be the case, then Saints need to have a serious think about what they do there. Because you've got two potentially of your biggest assets that, you know, what are you going to do? Just keep playing them when it doesn't work? Or have you got to shake things up and do what Steve said and, and perhaps get in somebody else? I don't, I don't know. But mm-hmm. to me, those two haven't gelled and worked consistently well together since they've been together at the club. And, and, you know, I hope Hughes can make it work because I think there's a lot of potential there. But, again, a bit like the defence, how much can can one person realistically do? How much can they affect? Mm, Yeah. I I guess that's the issue, Steve, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, mean, for me, you've got Maya Yoshida sat on the bench. If you lose Vestergaard, who's obviously a dominant defender, at least you've got some experience to to bring in if you decided not to play Stevens, for example. I mean, Adam mentioned last week during pre-season, he looked like he was our our fifth-choice centre-back, and that's two games in a row. I imagine he probably started at Everton because of the clean sheet against Burnley. But, you know, we've spoken so much, Steve, about the lack of leadership, the lack of organisation back there, and you kind of feel he may not be the most talented footballer in terms of ability, but Yoshida would at least bring some experience into that defence. Yeah, I think so. He's got to have some sort of organisational ability about him. He's usually wears the armband for, for Japan, I think, yeah. and he's the most experienced of their of their back four, and they tend to do all right. And yeah, I mean, Stevens is I mean, Stevens is young, um, so he's not necessarily gonna gonna have that ability to organize other people around him when he's got to concentrate on his own game first as a mm. as a player trying to make his way in the game if Yoshida is fit which I mean the problem is that obviously he came back came back so late from the World Cup yeah. that he's played what 17 minutes in preseason yeah he's not he's not going to be as, as sharp as you would want him to although I mean arguably he's probably no less sharp than he was when he was being thrown thrown in the deep end on odd occasion two or three years ago under under Ronald Koeman. Personally, I would have put Yoshida in there 
I mean, you could pick either one of those two. I mean, I'm not quite sure where Jan Bednarek was um, no. yesterday because for for me he is he's probably the next cab off the rank. Mm. And I would have um, who in Stevens four and five. I mean, which whichever way round you want to you want to spin them. I don't think either of them are much better than each other really no no I'd have to agree I think um, there's only one way players are going to get fit and that's by playing and if you uh, think about Ben Narek and Yoshida have both been at a World Cup they've obviously got that um, you, you touched on the, um, the the yellow cards the fouls Adam uh, Mark Hughes has been known to comment on officials quite a lot throughout his career I remember when he was at Stoke I used to think what a moaner he was but now I'm obviously fully behind him of course but he, he seemed pretty uh, frustrated with good old Lee Mason yesterday one of the uh, the worst Premier League officials I think there there is in my opinion anyway but uh, did you feel it was justified the Pickford um, foul aside or, or did you feel that Mason was uh, good enough at the officiating he did I thought he had a pretty dreadful game if I'm honest I thought he was pretty abysmal <laughs> actually yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout and um, the Pickford challenge itself is a bit of a difficult one I know obviously Hughes foul was definitely a red card I've got to hold my hands up here and say I saw it in real time but the uh, replay screen in the press box was was broken, and uh, because of driving home, I hadn't had a chance to see match of the day. And I I looked at the the uh, highlights on Sky this morning, and it didn't actually show that incident. So I've not had a chance to actually replay it and actually see it. But mm. when I saw it live, I didn't really think it was a red card. If I'm honest, I thought it was pretty over exuberant. But I think that um, but I don't. For me, that's that's not really a red card. When I saw it live, I mean, it might yeah. it might be different when you see the replay. I don't know, but. I think the point that Hughes is is probably making, which I th- I think is a is a fair one, given we quite often have this early in the season, is a lack of consistency amongst officials, and you get some officials that are giving these and and you know are, are using new edicts to the letter of the law, um, and and then you're getting others who aren't doing it, um, and I think that's the difficulty and and the lack of well what what can you do and what can't you do, mm. um, but like I said I think overall. For me, uh, on my viewing of it, I, I don't, I don't think it was a red card. And, and as I said, I think Lee Mason was so dreadful that I, I actually think, really, had he been on the ball, that he would have had Lamina off as well. So yeah. um, I don't think we can complain too much about being unfair, as, as it were. But I think it's that it's just that consistency, really, that I yeah. think that's what frustrates them as professionals probably more than it frustrates even us as fans who who are obviously looking at individual decisions a lot more. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, I, I saw the replay of it. I, I thought it was one of those ones that could have gone either way, really, but I didn't necessarily think it was a rate card. I think it's easy for the bias as a Saints fan to say it was. But do, do you think that's maybe where Hughes' experience, Steve, is, is a benefit for Saints? Because we, we've always, you know, I've felt we've always been quite a nice and honest club. You think of the Watford incident last year and Pellegrino coming out and saying, oh, these things happen and uh, et cetera, et cetera, when Roger East missed the, the blatant handball. But do you think hopefully Hughes might give that perception of starting to put a bit of doubt in officials' minds so they start to think they owe Saints? a few decisions or not um i think it can work either way because i mean yes you possibly sow that seed of doubt into into referees minds as to whether um particularly once they've sort of looked at decisions back again because i'm sure i'm sure every referee reviews the entire match that they've been working on and they will they will try and look at it objectively it was very difficult marking your own homework type thing but it kind of works both ways because everyone knows that Hughes consistently whinges about referees and makes excuses all the time yeah and he's done that throughout his managerial career regardless of who he's been managing and I think that's a very dangerous line for him to go down because referees are are quite known at at sort of circling the wagons and and shutting up and 
they'll basically rally around each other and we'll get sod all. Mm, I guess as a little club, you know, you, you'd be deemed a little club, wouldn't you, compared to the big the big boys? So if Mourinho puts pressure on them, Steve, that's slightly different to, to maybe Saints doing it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, when Mourinho says something, it get like every single word and every single potential subtext to it gets analysed to the nth degree in the national press. Mm. Um, something that Mark Hughes says on a Thursday afternoon down at Staplewood is going to be a throwaway line that will get... In the Daily Echo. <laughs> yeah, well, Adam's, Adam's going to report on it, yeah. and you'll find that Radio Sodent will report on it, and yeah. pretty much nobody else. Yeah. Nobody else is going to give a toss if um, if Mark Hughes is complaining about referees. No. Other than QPR and Stoke fans will turn around and say, well, we told you so. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, fair enough. Well, let, let's try and end on a positive, Adam. Danny Ing's got his first goal for Saints. Uh, maybe should have got it in the first half, but uh, to be fair, a great save from Pickford. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was good to see him get off the mark. And uh, as we discussed last week, hopefully someone that, if you can give him chances, he's going to put the ball away. Yeah, ma- massive positive. Uh, Ings, you know, he's been he's been like a little breath of fresh air the last couple of games and, and really has shown a little bit of what Saints have lacked. And for the doom and gloom of having lost the game, as I touched upon at the start, I don't think it's fair just to reflect on on the negatives because there were quite a lot of positives for yeah, Saints absolutely. to come out of it. And and the the fact that they were creating a lot more uh, chances, they were looking a lot more dangerous, was was definitely a real positive. I mean, I think you said afterwards, it, yeah, it wasn't a particularly high quality game, which I think is right. I think his summation that it was a good time to play Everton because. They were kind of just coming together under a new manager was probably right, because I think actually they're going to be a lot better, especially when they get all their new signings in. But also the flip side of that is it was kind of Saints under a new manager as well and also trying to find their feet a little bit. So I think there was a bit of that on on both sides, but it was it was positive And I really like what um, Nathan Redmond's doing as well. Uh, I mean, we briefly touched upon it last week for the Burnley game. Yeah. And I liked it again. Yeah, nothing was really doing for him, if you know what I mean. Nothing really happened for him, particularly at Everton. But I just like the mindset he's in. It's positive. He, you know, he's getting the ball. He's the only guy they've got, really, who can run at people and take them on. Hmm. Um, and he's trying to do that. He's getting the ball and he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. He's not being disheartened or... You know, but when it doesn't come off, and I think that's really good, and I think Hughes deserves a lot of credit for that. But I also think Nathan Redmond deserves a lot of credit for that because mm. you remember the the interview at the Sea City Museum last year, um, and when I spoke about that and how impressed I was with him, and the fact he'd gone away after all that abuse, and and most players, especially nowadays when they're yeah. paid so much money, would have just stuck two fingers up to the fans and buggered off somewhere else, frankly. Mm. But but no, he he said, OK, fair enough. I think some of this was a bit over the top, but the general point you're making probably is fair enough and has come back and really thought deeply about his game and what he needs to do. And he's trying. He's really, really trying. Whether it's coming off or not, he's given it a go. And I think that's a real positive for Saints because he has got a lot about him and it's good to see him yeah, really, really trying to deliver that. And Ings was excellent, great extra mobility, a goal threat, uh, drops deep to link up the play, everything you want, really. What they need to obviously try and do now, and it's it's feeling their way a little bit, is try and find uh, a partner for him, whether that's Charlie Austin or not, because Austin hasn't yep. had a great first two games to the season, to be completely honest. Yep. Um, now, it might be a case of he's one who needs to be played in a little bit, if that makes sense, he needs perhaps some games to really properly get sharp and 
And if, if Hughes thinks him and Ings are the answer, then he just needs to persist with that for a little while. But Ings definitely needs a foil of some description, I think. So I, I, hopefully, if it is to be Austin, if that's what they want, then, then he will kind of sharpen up and come to the party pretty quickly. Indeed. Well, it was a disappointing result. I tweeted uh, after the game yesterday to say uh, grass is green, although John Sorrell was uh, trying to tell me that his grass is brown. But grass is green, water is wet, and Goodison Park is a Saints FC graveyard. Earlier this week, on Tuesday, BBC Sport released a story outlining that 11 of the 20 Premier League clubs in 2016-17 could have made a profit without any fans attending their games. Saints were one of them, which wasn't necessarily a surprise, as Adam had mentioned earlier in the year when we were talking about the accounts that match day tickets and experience equated for just 12% of their turnover. I was going to ask you, Steve, based on um, season ticket prices at uh, Saints and some of the turgid football we've seen over the last couple of years, do you think they could have done more in terms of trying to attract both uh, renewals and new fans in? into the, the club this season in light of that uh, BBC story? Oh, definitely. I think if you speak to any fan and they and while so many people have obviously renewed their season tickets, you've got a load of people who have bought new ones because I mean, circumstances have allowed them to do it for, I don't know, the first time for however many years. Let's face it, we would, we would all like to pay less for things. Um, I don't think that's any, any sort of great revelation. Yeah. But I think like that BBC cost of football survey that they do every year, um, I think revealed that our cheapest adult season ticket, I think, is either the sixth or seventh highest in the league. Yeah, I think it's sixth highest. You're right. Yeah. And I think on that basis, I think the club could be doing a whole lot more. Mm. Um, it would be a relatively inexpensive goodwill gesture to the what have we got 20,000 season tickets, give or take. Yeah. So my my season ticket in the, in the northern is 570 quid. That is exactly 30 pound a game. Yep. I don't think it would be completely unreasonable to for the club to have um, to have dropped it down to say 500. Mm. If it was less, then great. But I don't think um, knocking it down to 500 that's going to cost them 1.4 million. Mm. It's not it's not a lot really for a Premier League no. team, is it? Um, for a company that made uh, what was it somewhere in the region of 20 million pound profit? Yeah, that's. It's negligible, and it also means they they then pay less corporation tax on it. So mm. there's a slight benefit to it financially, and also just in terms of the goodwill that you recover. Whereas a lot of people will will look at the prices and think, well, you're still keeping the prices at this at this sort of Europa League level, but you're offering us relegation battle football. Mm. Yeah. Um, so people are then going to say, well, okay, if you're going to charge me that, then just in order to kind of balance things out, I'm not going to spend anything in the club on match days. So I'm not going to um, buy a pie and a, and a couple of beers. Um, I'm not going to go to the mega store and buy that training top that, that ordinarily I might have just paid 30 quid for just to lounge around in. I'll, I'll get some better and cheaper from elsewhere. Yeah. So the club, are, the club are losing out on, I think, on sort of that intangible goodwill and more, slightly more tangible sort of alternative revenue. Um, streams as a result of I, I don't don't even know what it is whether it's pig-headedness that they that they think they should be charging a premium price for for what mm. they're offering yeah um it's, it's difficult difficult to know without speaking to the people who actually make those decisions but it just seems it just seems very odd 
that we're still paying this much, particularly given that when that 570 price came about two years ago, it was tied in with the away price cap of £30 a game. Now, Saints reduced the prices down to 570 with this big fanfare saying, oh, because of the away price cap, we don't think that home fans should be paying more than the away fans for the same same sort of accommodation, if you like. Mm. And then within three weeks, you had Virgin Media saying, oh, we're going to subsidise every away fan at St Mary's. So we, we believe in the 20 to plenty campaign and away fans are going to be paying 20 quid a game. Mm. So as it turns out, we're still actually paying... Um, 50% more than the Wave fans who are stood two blocks away from us. Yeah, Adam, I know it's slightly different for you because I, I appreciate you getting through the uh, the media um, angle, but um, for, from Saints' point of view, to be fair to them, there's clearly 10 other clubs that would have uh, been in the same position that probably could have um, reduced costs. Maybe they have reduced costs, I don't know, this season. But, uh, you know, as, as Steve says there, and I think it's something that is close to a, a lot of fans' um, hearts, and I, I made the point when I spoke to Radio Salem on Friday that it was a question I would have asked to Mr. Krug. I mean, again, do you sort of agree that... Saints really could have showed a bit more um, goodwill gesture and gratitude to some of their fans this season. I would like to think that there is something that they would have considered doing. I think that it's very difficult because they're ultimately they're they're running a business, aren't they? And whatever we think about about it is they're they're there to maximise profits. And my my moan about my my one wish for the season was for Saints to get back to being a football club again. Yeah. This is kind of plays into into that. It is something that's community. You want fans to attend. You want fans to be able to afford to attend um, as well. And uh, I, I think that this is one of the real downsides of, of the, the Premier League. It's got a great, great many upsides. And as somebody who doesn't pay to go to football matches, it's wonderful because I get to see all the best players in the world play. But if I was somebody who was having to pay, um, I'm not sure... If I could honestly uh, justify paying based on the entertainment value of the last couple of years. And so I think it's fair to think that there might have been a reduction and and especially when you see the, the profits that Saints made. But like I said, the difficulty from their point of view is that they are running a business. I do think. Um, what something Steve mentioned is right. And I think whether it's right or wrong, I think Saints do see themselves as a premium product, um, as it were. I think I think that very much is how Saints see themselves. That might be uh, incorrect in people, other people's eyes, but I think that's that's what they think, and and that they they price accordingly. I, I agree. I think it would have been a nice gesture, even if it was just to take off a little bit, even yeah. if it wasn't much, just just to have shaved a bit. Not even as dramatic as what Steve said, but at least to have said that they were taking down the ticket prices by, you know, the equivalent of a pound a match mm. or something mm. like that, which obviously would have been, you know, changed down the back of the sofa, as it were, at St Mary's. They yep. wouldn't have even noticed that it had gone. You know, the players probably spend more than that on lunch some days. So I don't think that would have been unreasonable. But ultimately, as I say, they're running a business. And if people are prepared to pay the ticket prices, then then that's what they'll charge. They were always likely to charge the maximum that they think that they can 
hasten to say get away with mm-hmm. um, because I think that's a bit unfair. But, you know, they'll, they'll charge the maximum that they think people will be prepared to pay is what I mean. Indeed, I, I think it just reiterates, doesn't it, the amount of uh, TV money that these clubs get and the importance to Saints of uh, remaining in the Premier League because if you do find yourself relegated and then you've alienated uh, 10, 20% of your fan base, you're struggling to get them back again, aren't you? But, uh, look, that, that leads us quite nicely into the uh, the fans forum because there was a question, of, uh, quite a bizarre one, about stadium expansion. But um, moving on to the fans forum, Adam, this week took place last Thursday featuring um, Danny Ings, Mark Hughes, Mr. Reed, and Mr. Kruger. What, what did you make of it overall, Adam, in terms of particularly Mr. Kruger and Mr. Reed's performance and uh, whether we really learned anything from it or not? Well, I don't think we learned anything from it at all. Um, nothing yeah. at all. Um, and, you know, if I was being in, entirely cynical, I would say that from, from my point of view watching it, I would deem it as a, as a waste of time in terms of actually learning anything new. Yep. Um, but but what it did from the club's point of view is that they obviously wanted to prove that the, their promises of being more transparent and open with the fans were true, which is why they wanted to do this. Now, we discussed briefly last week that it's a very difficult format to get anything meaningful out of it. Yeah. Um, and, and so it proved, really. And certainly... I would have been more, much more interested to have basically had an hour of people asking Les Reed questions than anything else. And mm. but obviously the half an hour that Mark Hughes and Danny Ying spent talking, we obviously learned nothing new. And that's no disrespect to them. But what were they going to say? Mark Hughes speaks publicly all the time, yep. and Danny Ings is is just joined. He's just going to say nice nice things about joining Southampton Football Club. Mm. Um, on to Reed and Kruger in particular. To be honest, I didn't recognise. Ralph Kruger, not visually, but that was just a different man. I mean, he, uh, with all due respect, from the outside, and so somebody who sat in front of him and asked him questions a lot, I didn't recognise that person who was sat there. He, he, I don't know what it was or what happened, but he crumbled. Mm. He melted. I think in the face of a bit of hostility, um, and it wasn't much hostility. It was, you know, it was pretty. Some of it was quite pantomime almost um, yeah, stuff, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just seemed to crumble. And I mean, he came across poorly. Mm. He came across um, as a little bit um, annoyed uh, being there and asked, answering the questions. Wasn't it his Sometimes, idea, though? Wasn't it his idea to do these sort of things? Well, I think it's but obviously he was part of the panel of people who decided to do it. And I don't know what it was that, that kind of shook him up on the day I think that and I was surprised as well because I think sometimes the difficulty for people like that when they face the fans is that when you look at the a football environment a professional sporting environment like that and and it's a very well supported club and there's obviously been problems now most people who are in and around a lot actually get quite thick-skinned they get mm. used to taking the flag Mark Hughes is used to taking a lot of flag because that's the job he's done yeah even Danny Ings is used to taking a lot of flat. The players are used to living and working in that environment. Even my modest thing that I do, I'm used to taking a lot of flat. You do get a lot, and you sometimes think this isn't really fair, given that I'm not really part of this whole thing. But you do. You get used to it. Now, that's because you're out there kind of in the cold face. You're speaking to people all the time. Now, the guys who run the club are in a very, very different position. They are, in, in, in a sense, an ivory tower. Mm-hmm. They're earning an awful lot of money, but they're not really truly accountable in the way that a lot of other people are because nobody can get to them. Yeah. There's no easy avenue to to tweet them, to email them, to comment on their stories, to shout at them in a stadium, to chant about. Yeah, they're, they're, they're sort of more peripheral figures. So when those sort of people suddenly have to sit in front 
of people and actually take some of the stuff that everybody else has to get in the negative stuff involved in football it can sometimes really shake those people but i was surprised about ralph if that was why he got a bit shaken because obviously he's lived and worked in a professional sports environment for a long time in his ice hockey day so surely he must have had some of that and and the fact that he, he got so shaken up about it is very surprising and in terms of you know, I, I'll go back to one of my favourite topics, and somebody did ask about the ownership and Gal, mm. and I thought again, and I, I've got to be completely honest about this, and you know, it's my upset, Ralph. It now begins to seem to me that the way it's being presented is that either Saints are trying to hide something deliberately yep. about Gal and about what he wants from the club, or they actually don't know. They just don't know. Mm. The guy's bought the club and there's no reason he has to explain himself to them. They're just his employees. So he doesn't have to. But I, I don't actually believe the first option is true. So I begin to think that the actual truth of this and the reason that we get these such vague answers about Gal being a private man. Look, let me say one thing. And I made this point to Ralph in, in the interview I did. There is a difference between being a private man and not wanting a public life and people fairly asking what he wants from this investment with his club yep. unless those two things are so tightly interlinked and it's impossible to really see how that is then it is a completely fair question for people to ask and it is a total fob off mm. to to just continually trot out this kind of he's a private guy you know and stuff like that it, it's not this is being presented as if this is an unreasonable question to be asking and it is not an unreasonable question to ask at all, in my opinion. Um, and that is going to sound perhaps very direct and very harsh. And as I said, I, I fear maybe that's not what Ralph wants to hear, but I think he knows my views on it anyway. So that's that. And I mean, just just what I guess moving on to Les briefly um, for him, I, I, I think it was more just job done. He just had to get out there and do something. Yeah. And then you know, he'll disappear into the background. And from my point of view, I think as a journalist, unless something surprising happens, I was a bit disappointed in a way because I thought this is probably the perfect excuse for him to come out. He took a couple of hits, but it was in an environment that they, he was always going to be fairly well protected and, and not have too much damage done to him. Um, and then that would be the perfect excuse to, to basically probably never hear from him publicly again, or certainly not for a very long time. And certainly he wouldn't sit down with a journalist because he'd just turn around and say, I've done it. I've been out now. I've done my stuff. I've faced the fans. Yep. I don't need to do anything else. So uh, I think that's unfortunate. And that just plays into the very final point I want to make about this, which is just to say that though I, I commend the club for doing this, I, I really felt as if watching it, I was like, this is, I, I think, if anybody wanted to know the value of, of journalism, and in particular when you're dealing with regional football clubs, with regional journalists who deal with their clubs a lot, I think this is it. Because with all due respect, there was nothing that came out of that fans forum at all. And I'm pretty confident that this similar amount of time sat with any one of those people would have brought out a lot more if it was a journalist. And, you know, I know we come in for flack and some of it's some of it's fair, but interviewing and things like that is is an art it's a technique and it's crafted through years and years of experience of doing it and you know it's a bit like being an accountant or me looking at an accountant and going well i've used a calculator and so therefore uh, being an accountant must be easy actually you see when you come to a thing like the fans forum that actually asking good questions and stuff like that 
isn't easy mm. um as frustrated as people do get with questions you ask sometimes it is still the best avenue to get stuff and i think if people really want to try and know what's going on in the club they should be rather than pressurizing them to stand there in front of 500 people in that kind of uh, scenario where really nothing gets sorted they should be pressuring them to actually try and get them to do some interviews with professional paid journalists who can actually ask probing questions and follow up on probing questions because i think that that's the only way that you truly uh, are going to learn stuff i just felt like i had to make that point there's a lot of interesting points in there adam i think it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if other saints fans agree with your perception of how mr reed and mr krieger did um steve uh, coming on to you on it um i guess my view of ralph has always been as I mentioned to Kane and Radio Solent on Friday, is that he uses a lot of words, but they don't often have a lot of substance to them these days. Um, I don't necessarily dislike Ralph Kruger. I don't necessarily dislike Les Reed. I mean, I think both of them have made a, a you know a lot of positive moves with Saints. But do, do you do you sort of feel that maybe fans have, have kind of lost a bit of respect both of them now, and sort of feel that we need a bit of a, a freshen up in the hierarchy, that they're sort of a bit too comfortable, and maybe need that kick up the backside that they might have got from the fans for them, or, or or that they should just move on and be replaced by someone else that can help drive the club forward a bit. More? More. Well, I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell. I mean, ultimately, they are employed by the club, and the only people above them are the board. Um, so, anybody thinking that either of those are going to be sort of forced out just on a whim, I think, are uh, sort of living in cloud cuckoo land. To be honest, mm. those two are very sort of woven into the fabric of the way the club is, the club operates these days. Which, I mean. I'll uh, I'll leave that that to people to decide whether that's a good or a bad thing. But I think both of them rode the crest of the wave when when things were going well and were happy to be seen front and centre. And now all of a sudden things are getting a little bit more awkward. Understandably, they're twitching a little bit. Um, I mean, as Adam said, Kruger's um, performance uh, during the week was just odd. Mm. As he said, the the question about Gal's um, motives or what even what he wants i mean this this idea that he's such a private person therefore we're not allowed to question what what he wants with i mean i'm reluctant to use the word our football club because ultimately we don't own it it is a private enterprise but um with his football club that we unquestionably uh, support what is his motivation what does he want what is his plan for the next I mean, even three five years mm. Um, and him saying that he's a this private person, we're not allowed to question him. Well, if he's that private, why does he show up at St Mary's for home games, being photographed by all and sundry? Mm, mm. If he's that private, he will stay. He would stay in stay in China, go to Hong Kong, somewhere where nobody from Southampton's gonna gonna bother him at all. No, and he no. and he can phone in on conference calls with with Ralph and whoever he needs to deal with, and um, and it wouldn't ever be a problem for him. He obviously wants to be seen. In some aspects, so you, I mean, I think you can't have it both ways. Just finally, in light of the fans' forum, then Steve, I guess the club um, do get criticised if they aren't transparent with fans, but yet come out and sort of do this type of scenario. I mean, you know, they've they've committed to maybe two more fans' forums this year, December and sort of May. I guess it will depend now how Ralph and Les reflect on that, whether they want to be a part of that and, and continue with them. So, do you think they kind of sort of made a, a rod for their own back by committing to these now, or do you think it will be something that they need to see through to try and get better next time they do it? Um, I don't think them committing to something necessarily means anything because i'm sure they've backed out of multiple similar engagements in the past and it's like well what can you do um but obviously i know the club has set up this um this fans panel this the saint's voice 
where like a handful of people have been elected onto some talking shop and they meet on a regular basis to kind of pass on fans concerns or suggestions and things like that my concern is that that sort of thing will be used by the club to say hey we're listening we're listening to fans we, we don't need to take questions on the football or the business side of things because it's only the match day experience thing that fans should really concern themselves with mm. um, and everything's going through this group of what eight to ten people mm. who much like any one of us have only got a view of a small portion of of people we can't cover every base and there will be a lot of legitimate concerns um from quite a lot of supporters that that will be completely missed whether it's through this saint's voice or through fans forums or i mean the things like price of pies and the quality of the beer and stuff actually don't tend to get asked at the at the bbc things because people think well it's just stupid question i'll save that for later but kind of comes back a little bit to the ticket price thing in that it's those little things that that do make the difference for people Mm. and while saints would obviously like to patronizingly pat people on the head and say yes well well done um we're engaging with you it would be nice to think that some suggestions might actually be acted upon but my my fear is that that sort of thing is going to be just paid lip service and not an awful lot will improve Adam Leach and Steve Grant, sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Next weekend sees the return, again, of former Saints manager Claude Puel and his Leicester City team. Adam, Puel and his team embarrassed Saints at St Mary's last season, 4-1. Never an easy side to play against, really. You never quite know which Leicester team's going to turn up. No, and uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to see Claude back again. Um, you always I'm sure that. there'll be... I do, because I like him. Um <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some uh, interesting possibilities of how the game will go, etc. <laughs> got to do it, got to do it. But yeah, on a more serious note, Leicester have made some interesting signings, and I really like James Madison anyway. And uh, before the season, he's he's obviously started well. Um, for me, that part of the the reason they won the league um, was obviously their their attacking strength, but that has been downgraded. They haven't got Mares now. Vardy's going to be suspended for this weekend, so I think it could be. A, a pretty nice time to play them. I've only saw a little bit of the highlights of the Wolves game, but it didn't look like exactly it was a convincing win from Leicester, even though they did get a victory. So I think the more bigger context for Saints is less what Leicester do, because I don't think Leicester are a team that come here and we, you know, there's any need to fear Leicester. But I think it's more um, where it sits in the context of the season, as Steve said right up top on the pod, this good start most people felt like they needed is is really in the balance now mm. um and you the international break is you know it's the first one of of several uh, early in the season is fast approaching and and obviously at that point that's where you kind of draw the line and go well how many points would we have wanted for those games i'm sure that's what the players and staff have started off the season looking at as well yeah. um and I, I don't think the answer is probably two or three or something like that it's 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 better than that for sure because obviously there are harder days to come probably uh, so i think from saints's point of view there is a little bit of pressure on this game now so i i feel like that they really need to win but i think it is a game uh, that they definitely can win do you think it's must win <laughs> 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 
I'll take that as a yes. Right, <clears throat> moving on then. So yeah, Adam mentioned there, Steve. I think Leicester had two shots on target against Wolves. They won two nil. Jamie Vardy is uh, suspended, but uh, Leicester again. They've you know never had a decent record at St Mary's up until last year when they absolutely embarrassed us with uh, Mr Van Dyke at the back, who clearly wasn't interested. So they're one of those teams that on the day can tear you apart. But Saints need to be looking at it as a winnable game, yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, as as Adam says, there is a little bit of pressure on that one now. Mm. But to be fair, we've kind of shown ourselves as a team that when the pressure is really on, we can pull it out of the bag, which for the best part of a year or so, we probably couldn't say that up until maybe sort of middle of April. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, we actually grew a backbone. And so, as you say, Le- Leicester were unconvincing against Wolves. Um, I thought they were pretty good against uh, against United on the Friday night on the opening weekend, yep. and a little bit unfortunate not to get something from that, mm. um, particularly in light of how bad United were today. But Leicester have got some quality players, but they're not the Leicester team that won the league. Mm. There's been a lot changed, a lot of their players have got old, and the better ones are either not available or have left. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just a different team now. Mm. Um, I think defensively they're still going to be pretty strong. Johnny Evans probably a little bit rusty maybe, but Harry Maguire is a good player. Very good. Yeah. Um, I assume Chilwell's playing at left back for them, and he's he looks a very promising young player. Mm. Going forward, I think apart from Madison, I'm not sure they've got that much now, which obviously means they're going to stick five passes on. <laughs> not looking stupid, yeah. but they're kind of there to be beaten, but. The problem is that Leicester are still at their best when teams attack them and you leave them open to the counter. Mm. And let's face it, we're not blessed with pace at the back. No. Um, that's still the worry. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, actually, because we, we spoke, didn't we, after the Burnley game about the change of formation by Hughes with, with 30 minutes left to 4-4-2 and the more positive approach that that brought from us. So I guess it will depend what happens with Vestergaard. I mean, I think we're assuming he will have recovered from his illness this week, but... Do you think he's likely to revert back to that three or five at the back and start like they did against Burnley? Or do you think he'll think, right, you know, this is a game we need to put a, a positive marker down. Let's stick with the uh, 4-4-2. Let's go with Yoshida and Vestergaard at the back and uh, take the game to Leicester and try and be a bit more offensive? Um, difficult to tell because of, as you say, because of the context with um, Vestergaard being ill, mm. we don't know how Hughes is seeing the three or five at the back delete as applicable. Whether he's thinking, oh, okay, we've screwed that, therefore let's revert to four, Mm. where most players, I think, are generally are more comfortable just slotting into a four at the back system, um, just without having any major sort of months of preparation on it. Mm. Um, I think playing the wingback system, I think you need to be well drilled in it a lot earlier on. Mm. Um, So I wonder whether Hughes took a look at the Burnley game and thought, "Mm, okay, maybe not. Yeah, which is slightly worrying given that we were set up that way all through pre-season exactly. and didn't, didn't really deviate from it. Yeah. Um, personally, I would like to see Austin picking splinters on the bench mm-hmm. because, as Adam said, he's offered pretty much nothing um, over these first two games. Whether that's down to him or down to the system we're playing is largely irrelevant because if we're playing a system that doesn't really suit him, then he shouldn't be playing anyway. Yeah. Quite why Shane Long comes out comes out from the cold and gets a game ahead of Gabby Adini on um, yesterday. I'm not quite sure, but I think we've got the potential to have a very sort of fluid and flexible front three with Redmond, Ings, and Gabby Adini because they can all interchange. They can all switch. Like Ings can play on the left wing, Redmond can play either either wing or down through the middle um, if he needs to, mm. and I think that gives us opportunities to kind of drag defenders out of position, other people move into that space, and that that gives us 
sort of variety in attack, which, let's face it, we've lacked for a year or 18 months or so. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Adam, because uh, Kruger was mentioning during the fans' forum about the depth in the squad, or it might have been Les Reed, I forget now, but uh, I, I think, and Steve's made the point before about um, Hughes not necessarily knowing his best team. So just before we go on to predictions, I, I think it's been a bit odd the last few weeks where players you know, like Jack Stevens, then like Shane Long, have sort of been coming in from the cold to a certain extent. And, I mean, for me, that just seems bizarre, and you want to try and find a settled side, and you would think that there'd be players playing fairly regularly. Is, I, I guess that's the positive and or the negative of having a large squad well i think the thing is Hughes does need to find his best team and his best formation to, to put the players out in and the only thing or defense i would make is that you know people have sort of said a lot about what they've been playing in pre-season i think it's it's fair to mention it but obviously part of pre-season is is about a learning experience and that's that is the point of it i mean like i said earlier in the pod he's made the point himself that, that it's not a case of him not knowing the his best team it's a case of him wanting to be adaptable and to change it around and I think that's that's what he would say in in defense of that but it's still very early days you know and it's he's he has only just really taken over properly Mm. and the season seems very unsettled um because of the world cup because of how late so many players uh, came back to so many different squads because we had the first year of the transfer window closing when it did all these kind of things. I think this is a bit of an odd year. And I think we have seen a few clubs have some slightly unusual starts. And um, as I said earlier, while Hughes pointed out that it might be a good time to play Everton because maybe they're a bit unsettled before that game. Maybe the same could be said of Saints, in fairness. Maybe it's a good time to have played Saints early in the season. Maybe they're going to get, they are going to get a lot better. And, and you know, this is a settling down period for them as well. So, Maybe, maybe it just needs something to go right. Because I think if something goes right, you know, if they get a really positive result and a good performance, then that gives them something to stick to for the next week. Um, as whereas at the moment, the problem is, well, kind of when it's not going right, when you change it and that works better, well, shall we start with that the next week and see what happens? But I think it's quite hard to completely fully judge until you get, you know, everybody's kind of back and fit and at the same level and, and those kind of things. And the actual truth is that that might not happen for another game or two yet. But yeah, I mean, I I, I feel like I've been a bit uh, a bit negative about a few things on the on this pod. And I, I, so I think like I want you. to try and be... It's unlike you, Adam. You're, you're yeah, really... I know. Yeah. I know. I, I like I, it. I kind of like it. I didn't have much sleep after the <laughs> Everton game. Obviously, that's it. I was just grumpy. Um <laughs> So I think I want to try and be try and end on a positive note, and and I think I do still like what Hughes is trying to do. I like the fact that that he's actually trying to respond to the problems that are there very directly mm. um, and very obviously, and I, I actually do like that because I think that it's fair to say that's not necessarily been the case recently. No, absolutely. So uh, cool. All right then, Steve. Come on, let's. Uh, Adam went first last week. So what's your prediction for Leicester City at home? Um. Once again, struggle to see a clean sheet, but I think there are enough positive signs from an attacking sense. As long as we get the right sort of attacking setup, I think, in terms of personnel, then I, I think we can get the win Saturday. So I'm going for 2 1 Saints. 2 1 Saints. Nice. All right. Adam, you? Yeah, I'm being positive. I'm going 2 0 Saints. 2 0 Saints. Excellent. All right. Well, I've already picked my team. I'm just going to rattle through this quickly. So um, Alex McCarthy, Bertrand left back, Yoshida, Vestergaard at centre back, Cedric at right back because we haven't got anyone else. Um, I'm going to play Pierre Emil Hoiberg and Stuart Armstrong in centre midfield. Um, not a lot of defence there, but who cares? I'm going to play Al Yanusi on the right hand side. I'm going to play Redmond on the left. I'm going to play Gabby in the hole. I'm going to play Ings up top. And my prediction, Adam? 
One of them. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing more predictable than your predictions. Thanks for listening to TSP this week. As I always say, it's genuinely appreciated. You can find Total Saints Podcast on iTunes, Acast, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts, amongst others. Whether you're an iOS or an Android user, the bases are definitely covered for you now. So just search on Total Saints Podcast on any of those sites. Finally, we're also on Facebook, Twitter and email. As I always mention, Total Saints Podcast at Yahoo.com. Before we go, I know Adam is desperate for a Total Saints Podcast Fantasy Premier League update. Um, the, the problem with doing podcasts on a Sunday night, Adam, is as Steve mentioned last week, the points get updated, but the table doesn't, um, which is particularly bad reading for me, unfortunately. So this is based on uh, Saturday night. So split the atom, Tom Bryan. Ryan was one point ahead of Sam Pellegrini, which is Dominic Mackerel's team. But uh, as I say, that's probably out of date now. In terms of us three, um, Steve is sitting pretty in 29th. Adam, you're down in 75th, believe it or not. Um, pretty uh, poor from uh, you, but I guess there's a long Early way to days. go. Yeah, well, exactly. Early there's days, a long mate. way to go. And uh, I, I couldn't find me, actually. I was uh, sort of even further south than that. But uh, there we go. Who cares? It's only a game. Anyway, thanks for listening. Have a good week, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep marching in. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.